Welcome to the Fire and Bones podcast, a weekly conversation on the text we are preaching to help each other rightly handle the word of truth. I'm Nathan Loudon, the pastor of Millwood Baptist Church. And I'm Michael Crosswhite, the pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Now, I know what you might be thinking. There are several good preaching podcasts out there, so why another preaching podcast? And Nathan, why another preaching podcast? passage comes to our mind is Jeremiah chapter 20 verse 9 if I say I will not mention him or speak anymore in his name there is in my heart as it were a burning fire shut up in my bones and I am weary with holding it in and indeed I cannot that's just a thought for us we are here every single week helping each other wrestle with our text so that we might be better preachers of God's word So each week we'll be looking at the passage that each one of us will be preaching that week. We'll identify the points that we feel are in those texts. We'll talk about how we're going to deliver that to the congregation, perhaps talking about illustrations, how we plan on helping our congregation understand or feel the passage, and then best of all, getting input from the other person on things that we potentially hadn't considered in our passage. Our contact information is in the show notes, so feel free to reach out to us with any questions that you might have. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, be sure to give us a follow and a five-star rating. Most of all, tell your pastor friends about us. We hope this to be a resource for you, and we hope you will enjoy this week's episode as we discuss through our texts in Matthew and Revelation. So this is your third sermon in Revelation, is that right? Third sermon in Revelation, people have responded uh, with a lot of excitement uh, before the series began. Like a lot of people say, Revelation is that book which the church wants their pastor most to preach, and it's the book that the pastor least wants to preach. Um, But I think I've crossed that bridge. I got more and more and more excited about it as I got ready. And our people got excited about it. We've sold out of almost all of the uh, scripture journals for the book of Revelation that we put out in our foyer. So I think people are, are reading and making notes. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited about it. We're in our, our yeah, but how many week. did you buy? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, we, you bu- your wife bought we, one? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> yeah. So me and my mom and my wife all have a scripture journal. Um no, I we bought. I'm pretty sure we bought more than our membership, or close to it, um, something like that. So mm. glad for that. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. So, is there has there been like a lot of fear on your part going in? Yeah, and I don't. I don't think fear that like I won't understand it or those things. I I, I feel like I've come to a good grasp of the book overall. Uh, like I was telling you earlier today, I just think the task of chasing down everything Revelation is referencing uh, is is more is it's a heavier load of exegesis than most books. And I just finished Romans, which is pretty heavy in that way too. A lot of studying Old Testament to make best sense of your book. So I think that's what's most daunting is just the the whole of Scripture is basically your, your context. 
So you you just preached Romans. You're now in Revelation. Mm-hmm. And so are you trying to get fired? Is that like... <laughs> your goal uh, yeah. is... <laughs> hey, man. Strangely, there's actually several pastors in town, uh, buddies of mine here in Austin, who are preaching Revelation as well, or mm-hmm. in the Austin area, just by yeah. chance. I actually or saw... Providence. I think... I think um, if I'm not mistaken, I think the village in Dallas is doing Revelation right now too, Chandler. I'm pretty sure. I he promise, is. I did not decide to do it just because they were doing it. I was thinking he was copying you, man. <laughs> he's he's like, man, Nathan, right. you Nathan's doing right. Yeah. Right. Um, so you're preaching through Matthew. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm. We're in at the end of 22. We're about to get in the woes where Jesus condemns the Pharisees, and then. Right, soon after that is obviously chapter 24. Y- yeah. y- you know, you didn't even have to go to seminary to know that 24 follows 23. But um, There you go. But so yeah. let me ask you this question. You're that far in a book. Usually when I get done preaching a book, I, I see a lot of things I would do differently because you study it more in depth than you did before. Are there a number of things that you would say, I would I would structure the book differently, I'd, I'd, my themes would be different, or do you feel like... You kind of, kind of, you're kind of in the lane that you would be anyway. I nailed it, man. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I uh, I'm not gonna lie. I hit it out of the park. No, um, there's, <laughs> you know, week in and week out. I, it's it's hard. I think uh, Matthew is difficult because it's so long. For one, it, mm. it is really mm-hmm. long. But the part that makes it um, easy, easier. I think is that it's so neatly ordered. Um, Mm. And I think that's true probably of the gospels, just all four of the gospels in general is that, you know, the, the epistles sometimes are, are, I find a little bit more difficult to, you know, structurally or organize because, because you got, you have um, several different arguments that like Paul, for example, would be making in one, even two sentences, you know? And, um, and so it's sometimes it's, it's, it might be easy to look at Paul, you know, over the whole book and say, well, he's basically doing this, you know, like you might be able mm-hmm. to do in Romans, but in any, you zoom down on any text and, well, there's like 15 different things going on where I think, you know, in, in Matthew, I know we've seen this and and I think this is true, you know, and just uh, in any study I've done through the gospels is that there, there's some very clear things that the gospel writers, I think are, are doing with what they're saying and um, not that that's not true of the rest of the books of the Bible, but I, I think it's particularly true in the Gospels. And so I, I've, I've just always found the structure of, you know, the Gospel narratives to be a little bit easier to, to nail down. And um, so what you're saying is if you miss it, it's it's pretty bad for you. <laughs> yeah. It's just yeah. that easy. Yeah, yeah, man, how stupid are you? <laughs> you know, yeah. No, you. I, I think. Um, I don't know if it's that when when people hear a narrative story, they just they they click with it a little bit better than they do sometimes epistolary content. But I I've found I think our church has kind of gathered what's being said and what what's being done, and I think once you you know pull back and and see the structure of Matthew, the content becomes relatively straightforward. Um, like as an example, I mean, we're, we're you know, 
chapter, we're almost in chapter 23, and uh, f- since chapter 19, he has been, uh, in one way or another, going after the kind of, I guess you would call it the, the system of the Jews. And so y- you have, in, in very small ways, you know, uh, back in, in even like 19 and 20, where he's inviting the kids to come to him, um, you know, all the way up to him, you know, even cleansing the temple and things like that. Um, some are more understated and some are more overt. But, you know, like I'm thinking of like 1913, where he, he tells the children to come to him. That's after the disciples are rebuking them because in, in that world, uh, children aren't welcome, you know, to to come into the conversation. And Jesus is even attacking that aspect of the Jewish system. And so by the time you get to 24, where he's going to talk about the destruction of the temple, and he's going to tell them, you know, every brick in this whole edifice is going to be, you know, undone. He is even now, brick by brick, taking apart everything that has become true of the Jewish religious order. And, uh, and so I think once you see that that's what's happening in this whole last section, all the way up through his crucifixion and resurrection, to the point even in the Great Commission where he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, um, then it, it becomes relatively straightforward what he's doing. And then it becomes very obvious after the triumphal entry and, you know, cursing the fig tree and all that, where he's just one by one nailing them to the wall, you know. So, so you just you just basically said, you're, you, if I understand right, you just basically said every week you are kind of preaching the whole book based on the structure of the whole book. Are you... Are you weekly, actively trying to make sure that when you're done with Matthew, your people understand Matthew as a whole unit and they can see it as one work that you keep adding to every week versus this week we're just talking about this section and the next week it's a different section. Are you actively trying to get your people to learn Matthew like that in your yeah. preaching? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, why, do you, I, why do you think that's so important versus just... You know, every every section has its own message. Every every you know every pericope has its own. Why why a whole big book like that over time? Yeah, because I mean, I, I think more than Matthew has probably demonstrated this to the congregation more than anything else, um, more than any any other book that I've ever preached through. It is um, that he's actually doing something with what he's saying these aren't just random stories and he's not just presenting to you a history. Uh, um, I think we, so by that you mean, you mean every week he's adding to the structure of the whole. And so that the only way you can understand your immediate text to its fullest extent is to connect it to what the ministry of Jesus or even Matthew's structure is doing to the whole book. Otherwise you won't, you won't fully and most accurately understand the passage that you're in. Exactly. You 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 can't um, you can't appreciate what the author of the book is doing with a given story in the gospel narratives unless you understand the structure of the book as a whole. And once you understand the structure of the book as a whole, these don't just become YouTube videos that 
Matthew is presenting or that Luke or you know or anybody for that matter is presenting to you these are actually stories that they're using to make a point to you the reader this is what this means this is the significance yeah. of this event it's not just an event that you walk away and going go oh oh cool that's what happened in Jesus's life this is not um, a YouTube video in that sense. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's not just a, a recording, you know, or a security cam footage or however you want to think about it. it it's, it's actually a, a story that he's using to make a point about Jesus on the whole. And, and it feeds into his story. And I think you even see this, of you know, kind of a flaw in our approach of studying, I think. And I've seen this as we've gone through Matthew in just doing um, preparation for sermons reading through commentaries, the first thing that our, our commentaries go to is, well, this story in Matthew is not like Luke's, and it's not like John's, or it's not like Mark's. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a flawed approach. I, it doesn't, mm-hmm. I mean, it matters a lot less than like the harmony of the Gospels and all, all of that kind of stuff. Not that they don't harmonize, of course they do, but it, it matters a lot less once you understand what Matthew is doing, because I'm not, Matthew's not concerned with chronology. He's really not. Um, probably he's more concerned with chronology than maybe, um, uh, you know, maybe some other gospel writers. John. But yeah, yeah, than like John, for instance. But um, but he certainly chronology is not his concern, and he never told you that it was. He never s- yeah. set out from the beginning to say, "Hey, um, you should We're really be concerned about the count." Yeah, yeah. You, you, you should really be concerned about the order that these pla- things took place in and, and that kind of stuff. I think anybody could have done that. That's not yeah. what Matthew and Mark and Luke and John or are, any of them are trying to do. You know. So every week we're going to kind of look at the text that you're preaching this week and look at the text that I'm preaching this week. Sounds like we're in a good spot to look at your text All right. and we'll kind of take what you just said and how, how that relates to structure of the book as a whole you know and I think I think some of the questions are going to be like okay so this is not just like a one-off YouTube video on whose son is the Christ your passage um, but it, it it's saying something that the whole it, it's saying something in chorus with the whole book and yep. what is that so what's your passage this week give us the two-minute rundown so I'm on Matthew 22:41 to 46, which is basically Jesus uh, asking a question of the Pharisees, and uh, and the question is, well, it's actually two two questions: uh, whose son is the Christ, which they answer uh, in the affirmative, the son of David, and then the following is if David says in Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand while I'm put your enemies under your feet. His follow-up question to that is, if David calls him Lord, how is he also his son? To which the Pharisees and, and really everyone in the audience doesn't venture an answer. And so um, it's a very short passage, but I think what we, what, uh, what the context that it falls in is, you know, as I've said, obviously Jesus is kind of going systematically through and brick by brick tearing down this sort of Jewish religious system and it's leadership really and he's kind of going after the reli- the religious leadership but over the past couple of chapters Jesus has given three parables that specifically critique the Jewish leadership and 
and they've progressively gotten worse to the point where the last parable leaves them outside of the kingdom of God altogether. And so following on the heels of those three parables, the, the, the religious leadership asks Jesus uh, uh, three questions, basically three what they intend to be trapping questions. Um, and it's questions that a lot of people are really familiar with, but um, everything from the great commandment to whether we pay taxes to Caesar um, and then the Sadducees obviously ask about the resurrection. And so after, so three parables condemning their leadership, the leadership comes back with three questions to try to trap Jesus and get him to fall out of favor with the audience because they hold him to be a prophet. And then mm-hmm. finally he gets to this very last one and he says, let me ask you a question, basically turning the tables on them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's where they leave off in it. And he kind of, Matthew sort of leaves off that little interaction with, you know, no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. So uh, (laughs) he decisively ends the question and answer session, you know, that they've been in. That is a pretty funny ending to that passage. No one dared ask him any more questions. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Because if you do, Jesus will start asking you questions. Yeah. It's not, it's not going to go well. Yeah. Um, so okay, so take take your text, and then what? Like, it's the question is, who whose son is the Christ? And they answer the son of David. Mm. So that seems to be a right Christological answer. Yeah, Jesus doesn't challenge that. Right. But then he goes to the Dave. He goes to to David's. Uh, he goes to he goes to quoting David. How does that fit in? And it seems, it seems to me, you may have already said this, but it seems like what Jesus is saying is that this this son of David is more than the son of David, and that mm-hmm. the Christ is more than the son of David. He's the son of God. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah. So, it, it, go ahead. Sorry. No. So does that? Where, where does that fit in? in the book like how is this different from other passages i know matthew begins with uh son of abraham and david so how do you how do you build the case for the whole book as a part of this passage yeah well to me this is um this is the one of the culminating points that matthew is actually building to um Mm -hmm. because you you as you you've pointed out um he starts off the book in uh, chapter one, verse one. So you don't get any more at the start than that, where he says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Um, mm-hmm. So he, he, from verse one, he makes that point. But then um, in verse 17 of chapter one, he shows how his genealogy has been a crafted 14 generations from uh, from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ. And so Matthew is kind of, from the get-go of the book, he's setting out, I am going to show you that this person, Jesus, is the son of David, so he's rightful heir to the throne, but then mm-hmm. he is also the Christ, and mm-hmm. I'm going to show you that, and I've crafted the genealogy to prove you that to prove that mm-hmm. to you, and so 
in some ways, this is sort of a culminating point in the book, but it the, the point that Matthew, I think, is sort of driving towards, or, or maybe just um, illuminating for us, is that this is the reason why the Pharisees are outside of the kingdom of God. They answer, like you said, they answer right. They say the son of David, that that's who the Messiah is going to be. That's who the Christ is going to be. He's going to be the son of David. And so when Jesus asked the follow-up question about Psalm 110, this is not the first time that they've ever considered this passage before hmm. it's that and and so i i don't i think that they understand the the question perfectly and i think they know the answer perfectly i think they're unwilling to say it because hmm. they realize what it would do in affirming who jesus is i think that they're picking up that he's talking about himself um you know, he, he said before to his audience and to them that he, he said specifically to them that that he is greater than the Sabbath before, that someone greater than Solomon is here. He said mm-hmm. all this back in chapter 12. And so they understand what he's claiming about himself. And, and I think they know this passage all too well. They don't want to condemn themselves by, by mentioning the question. But I think that's precisely Matthew's, what Matthew is getting at. What I've set out to prove to you from the beginning, from chapter one, I have laid out the argument, and you have seen, you have seen this Jesus, who is the Christ. The reason mm-hmm. that the Pharisees are not included in the kingdom, and the reason Jesus is tearing it down, is they're fine admitting that the Messiah is king. They are unwilling to make him Lord. And, mm-hmm. and that's centrally the problem here, is that, uh, and the problem with the, the Jewish system and their leaders is that they don't want to acknowledge Christ as Lord. So king, fine. Lord, no. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. So in your when you're preaching, like this Sunday, like in your sermon, um, are you going to take all that into your sermon? Or are you just going to kind of use it and keep it to yourself, but you it will affect the way you preach? Or do you put all that out to your people? I put it all out there. Um, I, there's, why, why, there's, do, why, why do you think that's important versus kind of leaving that in your study, why is that important to kind of show your work there? We, you also have to remember that we've been building slowly over time. So, so the, the trouble mm. where I'm at is not, um, is not really how much do I put out to the people and how much are they going to pick up and what, what do I say? It's I don't want this to sound redundant. I don't want this to be so redundant that, it, that people are you know, kind of right. maybe bored's not the right word, but bored with it. And because you, um, you you almost go to the danger of preaching the whole book every week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then they're like, "Man, we've heard this a thousand times," you know. So we're a lot of those things that I've said. They're not going to come out of left field for anybody. They're going to kind of right. be tracking already. So you know, I I've laid out um, the battle that Jesus is undergoing with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders since chapter 19. And we, we've been talking about that at some length for the last few chapters. And so for me now, the, the goal is to really say, okay, here's the crux. We're coming to the crux of the complaint of the, the condemnation that Jesus is bringing against the Jewish leadership. And that is a failure to understand him as Lord. And so, um, so some of those things, you know, it, I lay them out here to you because you haven't been, you know, kind of with me the whole time for right. the congregation 
because they've been with me the whole time, there's a lot that they're already tracking with and that they're kind of expecting. Yeah. And so most of that is just going to be a reminder of what we've talked about so far and then kind of laying out why we come to the conclusions we come to about this particular passage and what, what Jesus is doing, what function it plays in Matthew's argument overall, you know. So uh, I am so, going to lay out all those things, but just not it's not going to come out of left field. Yeah. So for you then, what is the more narrow point in this text and what or what's most important or, or how do you how do you plan to take that and get that to your people, whether it's illustration, structure of your sermon, what what's most important for you in getting the narrow point of this text and the sermon this week? Yeah, I so I have a kind of a typical pattern that I go through every time I preach, which is which is normally I'll kind of open with some form of an image. And um, the reason that I do that, uh, the thing that I find most helpful for people, and I think the fee- from the feedback that I get anytime I've ever preached and, and done that successfully, is that it helps people to, to understand the, even just the subject matter that we're talking about. And so, right. you know, I think even this week we've seen, you know, the interview with like Meghan Markle and, uh, and and all of that with Oprah and stuff like that. That's going to be your opening illustration. It, it, it literally Meghan is. Interview. Yes. It literally <laughs> is. So I'm, I may or may not make fun of you. Yes, you should. Or you private. should. Yeah. Uh, I th- no, I, I think, um, you know, I, what I want to kind of lay out is the, the British monarchy and how it, it is a, um, it's sort of a, I, get, I don't know if I'm using the phrase right, but paper tiger, you know, it's sort of a, uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're more like uh, just a kind of a, uh, an image at this point. They're not really mm-hmm. a, um, they don't have any real power or authority. And, but, um, you know, right now they have a queen, obviously, but they've had kings and they will have kings in the future, it seems. But um, right. th- those people will be uh, hailed as powerful queen or king but they will actually have no real authority. And so I want to kind of lay out at the beginning the, the image of the, you know, the British monarchy and how really functionless they are in British society. Um, and so then uh, in connecting to the, the text, basically I want to show, demonstrate how the Pharisees, wh- where the Pharisees, uh, stopping point is and what, what brings condemnation upon them. Because remember, we're getting into chapter mm. 23 right after this. And chapter yeah. 23 is Jesus just laying out seven woes for the Pharisees and mm. why they're condemned. And mm-hmm. then he's going to talk about in 24 the tearing down of the of the actual temple structure. So, um, and then ultimately his, you know, his the culmination of his return and things. But, um, but you know, what I want to lay out is this is the crux of the matter. It is mm-hmm. the Pharisees, un, they're, they're fine hailing him as king, unwilling to hail him as Lord, but I think that actually when you, you come out of that context that they're in and you go over to you know our context where we're at now, the, the struggle is, is similar. Um, we have a, a, a culture basically that's now um, looking at Christ as sort of a British monarch, you know, who mm-hmm. they're fine saying, long live the king, 
they'll come to church on Sunday even, but mm-hmm. but but what does it mean to actually uh, hail him as Lord, and how is that different than King? Um, mm-hmm. And and so you you hail him as Lord, he is your King. You hail him as King, he's not necessarily Lord, and I think we right. we've seen that, and I think we are seeing that even now, and uh, I think that's been true you know for the last two thousand years certainly, um, but yeah. I, but I think it's yeah. pertinent pertinent to us you know so you know this is our this is our first podcast it is but we've been podcasting privately for years right helping each other write each other's sermons yeah um i've most stolen of my best, so much most from of my, you <laughs> most of my best sermons were written by michael crosswhite on the phone um but I wonder, do you do you see a similar? I was so this is on my brain because I was in a workshop two weeks ago in First Samuel, and I, if I remember correctly, there's a moment when David is introduced to Saul, and the question that comes out of Saul's mouth is, "Whose son is he? Whose son mm-hmm. is this? Mm-hmm. Is that is that just is that just kind of the same language, or do you think there might be kind of a is there something there? Is there well, some I hadn't thought there? of it until you just said that. So. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. And me neither. Me neither. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I, uh, I, I couldn't possibly venture a guess, but it's one of those things that I'm going to write down and go think about later. Uh, yeah. <laughs> for, for sure. Um, Which, you, know, you know, like that's been my encouragement over the years, and I think what makes this podcast fun for us and not just fun but helpful is that I don't know how many times stuff made it into my sermon that I didn't think of I wasn't thinking of but but you mentioned mm. or you mentioned something and then it took me down a trail and it led me to something maybe somewhere I wasn't going like like you know like almost better than a uh, you know like the notes in your Bible you know mm-hmm. like check this passage out too Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I'm just curious. I, I remember, but, I remember that, uh, I don't remember what sermon it was, but I remember, um, us texting back and forth. A lot of times it's over text, you know, and I remember yeah. us, which I'm grateful for because I can never remember what we said or what you said, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> but if you got it in a text message, you can, you know, go reference it. And so I remember, um, us texting back and forth about a passage that I was preaching and you said something, and I was like, that's really good. And I literally went and copied that text message and almost pasted it. I mean, pretty much paste. I did paste it in the sermon and then just sort of, you know, changed it up so it wasn't so texty and made it a lot yeah. more like, you know, in, in so the manuscript. The, the, big, the big question that I have for you is, did you give me credit? I never would give you credit. I would never <laughs> in a million years would I give you credit. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. No, I, 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 no. I doubt very seriously. I gave you credit in all honesty. But no. Uh, yeah. but no, I think I think if I remember right, I would like to say that I texted you and I was like, I'm using that, you know, and I'm not yeah, giving yeah. you credit. Sure. And uh, yeah. I would expect you to do the same if I ever said anything and yeah. never mentioned yeah. my name. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. But anyway, so I think, you know, and as far as Matthew goes, um, I think it's a, it's a really nice segue for me um, into chapter 23 where we're going through seven woes. But really, to be honest with you, and I, I, I'll be dead just kind of 
lay all my cards on the table. Um, when it comes to 24, 24 makes me a little nervous um, because, no. I mean, it does. I mean, you're you're preaching revelation, so, like, you ought to I, know. I told, I texted you this week, <laughs> did I not, and said, yeah. when are you going to get to Matthew 24 because I need you to tell me what it means so I can use it in Revelation. That's exactly what my text said. Yeah, I mean, you know, 24 makes me really nervous, and I'm not one that believes that the primary uh, orientation of what he's talking about is a, a rapture or uh, you know mm-hmm. that that a second coming at least not in the first thirty six verses and thirty five verses mm-hmm. and so I know that a lot of well maybe not a lot but but many in the congregation are sort of you know anticipating matthew twenty four and really want to hear mm-hmm. um and and probably want to hear that dispensationalist you know reasoning uh, i suppose cheer, yeah 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 from matthew twenty four well i th- I think if you zoom back to the context of what's going on from chapter 19 where he's going after the leadership but really this has been going on for the whole book he's been he's been telling them early on in for starting in chapter really 4 he's introducing the kingdom to them uh, chapter 8 he starts showing them what the kingdom's impact really is in real world scenarios of him going through nine healings and um, and then people deciding whether or not to to follow this Jesus and this kingdom that he's bringing and whether or not they're a yeah. part of it. So this whole kingdom thing has been a, been a, a, from the very beginning of the thing, of the of the book. And so I think when you zoom back to the context, you see he's dismantling all of Judaism right here right. in front of everyone. And so the 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 you know the culminating um, uh, point of Judaism is that temple sitting on top of Mount Moriah and they're going to walk outside of the temple and the Jews and or the disciples around him are going to go, you know, look at look at this massive structure in in amazing. And he's yeah. going to tell them not one stone is going to be left unturned. And and, he, and I think he's referring to, you know, um 70 AD when Rome is going to come in and and I think that's verified by the other gospel accounts, but yeah. Um but so so I, my point is I think that this understanding him as Jesus and Lord all helps to kind of show the battle that he's undergoing with the Jewish leadership, and that I think that ends up paying off for me in in Matthew twenty four, where the the congregation almost expects it to not be about the second coming, but about this you know culminating event where all of Judaism collapses. <clears throat> yeah, I I think that's so helpful. Just real quick, yes or no? Do you do you have a basic conviction that every book works like this in the Bible, yeah. that every yeah. book kind of has one main melodic line, to use a Simeon Trust phrase, that it's got one long main thought, and everything's kind of attaching to that thought, and you can't really understand the whole of it. You can't understand every section until you understand that. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, um, so yeah. I think that's helpful, and I think, like, as I'm preparing to preach any book of the Bible, it's helpful to see... I, like I'm, I'm thinking now that even probably all of those points that you just described forward and backward from your text, they're probably not going to all make it in the sermon. Mm-hmm. But what you've just shown is that you're, you're getting to a narrower point in your text, not by focusing solely on your text to get the narrow point in that text, but actually understanding everything around it mm-hmm. in order to understand the really specific point in your text. I think yeah. it's really helpful as a as a preacher to to remember that anytime you're in any passage. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly is. I, I, um, 
I I'm I'm helped along the way, and I think basic structures and things like that. Commentaries are really good use for that. I mean, you know, mm. even just kind of pointing you along the way. There's some things, man. I, I I just don't I don't know that I would be able to see, you know, if not for oh, some man. people in, that I trust in, pointing me in the right way. In Revelation, <laughs> I, I read it. I did my own structure of the book, but. I'm looking at other people's structures, and I'm going, well, yeah, that's there. Well, yeah, that, yeah that's there too, and I would have never seen that. Yeah. At least I feel like that. And so, yeah, ha- having help with those things is huge. Speaking of Revelation, your text, mm-hmm. what is your text this week? Oh, my text is Revelation 1, 4 through 8. And uh, and how are you? What give us a give us a rundown, forwards and backwards. What's um, you know context on all of that good stuff? Yeah, I was I messaged you this morning that in my preparation I was I was looking at biblical context for my passage, and I started making different references. And I jokingly texted you. I just deleted all of them and just wrote in whole Bible. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because it it really is it really is spanning the history of redemption in the people of Israel. So Revelation one four through eight at the beginning and end is the claim that God is the one who who was and who is and who is to come. The eternality of God. The very last phrase is God Almighty, the Almighty. In between that are two references to Christ. One is a reference to Christ as the one who has saved us has freed us from our sins. And the second reference to Christ is his coming, at which point uh, all the nations are going to wail and mourn at his coming. So you've got you've got God's eternality on both ends of the text, the beginning and the end. In between, you have Christ in relation to the church, and you have Christ in relation to his second coming, specifically that the tribes of the earth are going to wail on account of him. So that's kind of the little structure overview of what's actually in the passage so Uh, i I have a question here because and i i'm going to resist the urge to ask you every question on revelation that could possibly be asked because Uh, which is good because i'm probably going (laughs) to understand like 25 percent of the questions anyway so great because i mean well every verse i'm almost every verse in revelation is like man what is that oh this you know everything it's like just raises more questions, you know, I think, I feel like in, in a lot of our minds, but um, there's this, you know, reference to, in verse four, to the seven spirits, and I'm just wondering, is that is there Trinitarian implications here? Is there, um, you know, you've got God the Father, obviously you've pointed out, you have Christ uh, twice referenced, and then uh, is this seven spirits anything? Is that, is this a Trinitarian yeah. thing? Absolutely, I think it's absolutely Trinitarian. It's Trinitarian reference there. It's Trinitarian later in chapter one. Mm-hmm. In chapter four, we see the throne room of God, and we see the spirits described as seven burning torches, and then they are defined as the seven spirits of God. Then you go to chapter five. You have the vision of Christ as as this strange slain lamb who has seven horns and seven eyes. But those are described as symbolic to the seven spirits of God, which are sent out into all the earth. So in chapter 4, you have God on the throne with the seven spirits relating to him. 
in chapter uh, 5, you have Christ slain coming up to God on the throne uh, with the Spirit referencing him. I, I think the Spirit is kind of this, so far, my best guess, that the, the Spirit is this mentioned along the way quiet worker that you can't do anything without the whole time. Mm. Uh, so, like, you have a chapter on God, chapter 4, a chapter on Christ, chapter 5, but you don't have a chapter on the Spirit, mm. but he's in all of them. Mm. Uh, and so, definitely Trinitarian work there uh, being mentioned. I, I think that there's kind of, I think this almost works like a table of contents, which wonderfully anchors this whole book into the Old Testament and works like a table of contents for the future of for the rest of the book of Revelation. So, for example, you have you have God mentioned and uh, His throne, and then in chapter four you have God mentioned in His throne. In this chapter, you have Christ mentioned in His redeeming work uh, by forgiveness of sins by His blood. You have that referenced and focused on in chapter five. And then I would say in chapters 6 through it's 11, you really have the work of God bringing his judgments to the earth. And then in the second half of the book, it's really Christ who mm. is uh, the coming champion. Mm. Uh, and so you, you have God, Christ in chapter 1. You have God, Christ in 4 or 5. And then I think you have longer sections of God, Christ at the other half of the book. Mm. Now, there are so many structures that I think work in uh, the book of Revelation. Mm. But for, for me and our people, I think that's that's going to be a general big level structure that we're going to kind of a framework that we're going to work within. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, I've never actually heard it uh, put that way. I think in terms of structure of God, Christ. Well, that might but... that might not be a good thing. <laughs> there might so, be a reason. Let's let's just yeah. assume it works for now. <laughs> so, so you're wrong. Uh, no, I'm yeah. kidding. Yeah, uh, no, it's it's. Uh, I've never heard it put that way. Not not because it not because it's wrong. I think I definitely can see that, and uh, and that is. I think that's abundantly clear. The moment you get to you know, chapter 11, where there's sort of, um, you know, I mean, basically you have, you kind of have these repeating events over and over, um, through Revelation clearly, but, uh, it, it does seem to shift to the battle of, you know, the false Trinity in 12 and 13, where you have Satan, the dragon, you have playing kind of the fatherly role and from him comes the beast and the and the false prophet the false prophet's right. you know design is to push everybody to worship the beast and um and so you you've got this false trinity uh where the beast mm-hmm. even falls down with a mortal wound as though mm-hmm. dead but then gets up right yeah. like so it's yeah. it's a falsified um you know satan inspired trinity that's coming coming to attack so you it, it, it seems, you know, I asked the Trinitarian question of your passage uh, because it seems so evident that John is putting this before us, but, you know, in just the most brutal way that just sort mm-hmm. of, uh, I think, you know, at some point you kind of go, man, uh, I don't, I, f- I feel like I don't know my Bible <laughs> at all. Well, know? yeah, and here's, so I would compound that and say, you know why? Why I wanted to include the whole Bible as my context is in in this section. I I think, and other 
people who are smarter than me thought about it before I did, that when John references we are freed from our sins by his blood, made a kingdom and priests, we see that in Exodus 19, spoken of Israel being freed from Egypt and made, same phrase, a kingdom and priests. And then we see, behold, the cloud is, behold, he's coming with the clouds. That seems to be a clear language borrow quote from Daniel chapter 7. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail and see him seems to come from Zechariah chapter 12. And so, aside, I, I don't know yet that, that, that John is trying to say explicitly that Jesus is fulfilling all of these things. Although I think he, he is, in a sense, saying this is where Revelation is going and what it's doing. Hmm. It's anchoring in Exodus and Daniel and Zechariah, which I think ultimately is the exile, or excuse me, the exodus, the exile, and then the rebuilding of the temple. So you've got the hmm. exodus and exodus, you've got the exile and Daniel, and you've got the rebuilding of the temple as the focus in Zechariah. And, and John just borrowed from all of those hmm. as a way to say... That's that's where we're picking up in the story of redemption. That's where and, we're continuing. And it's like he's done it without hardly quoting any of them. Right. <clears throat> he's just yeah. just veiled references, and you're just supposed to know that, oh, that sounds a lot like Exodus. So so how, how do you, you know, with, with all of those references— to various scripture points. And, and, and by the way, even, you know, the seven spirits I've, I've read and heard mention the seven spirits referring to, uh, Isaiah 11 two, where yeah. or he, Daniel seven. Yeah. 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 Where, um, you know, the spirit, the one that's going to rise up from the shoot of Jesse being the, um, the, the spirit of God is going to be yeah. on him, the spirit of, and yeah. he just lists seven spirits that's going to be on right. him. And, um, and so, you know, so you've got even maybe even a reference to Isaiah there too, you know, that, right. And so how do you take that to a congregation, one who may not be super confident in the Old Testament? I think that's most, you know, congregations uh, probably, um, not super confident in the Old Testament. And, um, you know, can in terms of just preaching or oration be overwhelmed by a lot of complex ideas and things like that? How do you, how do you give them? Look at all these touch points from the Old Testament that John is is including in this yeah. these five verses. Yeah, I I think, and my my plan right now will be to take our church to say, open your Bibles to Exodus. This is the oh. moment in history of redemption in Exodus. Look at the language used in Exodus. And then I would say, turn your Bibles to Daniel. This is the general context for the book of Daniel. Look how Daniel speaks about the one coming with the clouds. And then I'd say, turn your Bible to Zechariah. Look at how that says, those who pierced him will wail on account of him. And just speak generally and say, and do what I think John is doing. John's not saying, camp out in one of these verses and make a clear fulfillment argument. So much as he's saying, do, do you see how far back I'm grabbing 
to make sense of what's going on right now. And so I would I would show that so that when I reread uh, chapter uh, Revelation one and those verses five and six and seven, that they go, oh that sound now that sounds familiar to me because I I just heard it and it sounds familiar to me now. Mm-hmm. Now that makes sense that John's not just using his preferred words or even for the first time in history spirit inspired words perhaps if I could if you could say it that way but that he is pointing us backwards and and it, and it seems clear enough to say he's he's pointing us to all those generally by quoting them without blocking it out so to speak mm-hmm. as as a kind of a quote in his introduction but I think the other thing that I will have to show is that John seems to change them a little bit as well and and kind of bring them forward in redemption because instead of being freed from Egypt and made a kingdom and priest, now it's freed us from our sins. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems that Daniel, when he saw Jesus coming with the clouds, that could have been speaking of his cross and, resurre- and uh, ascension. Now he's speaking of his second coming. And Zechariah, it's those who pierced him. Specifically, it's tribes mentioned by name in Israel. And now it's all tribes of the earth. Mm. And so it's like John is saying, we're doing, we're completing that, and we're doing it again, but now we're doing it with the church and the whole world. And wow. you, church, are priest to God's Father. You're the kingdom like Israel was, but now it's the whole church and that's the whole world. And that sets up, I mean, I just, I think that begins to make revelation make more sense yes. when we get to the interaction with the nations later. And all the peoples of the earth. So one of the things I said in my introduction is sermon a few weeks ago was that if there's there's one one string following through, and it's this is written to the suffering servants. And if you watch closely, uh, John will stop and mention where the suffering servants are in relation to the nations, and in relation to the throne, in relation to Christ, in relation to suffering. That he's always kind of you know, showing this is everything that's going to happen and coming, and this is where the saints are in that in that picture. And that's in this passage. He's freed us from our sin, but the tribes of the earth will wail. Th- mm. Those are the two opposite responses to Christ and to God's kingdom, salvation of the saints, the judgment of the world. That's that's on every that's in every single pericope in uh, in Revelation. I, I think you could say that. Yeah, that was kind of a lot. I don't know if that's helpful or no. That, that's incredibly helpful. And I, I, honestly, like when you were talking about the starting your sermon by opening to Exodus, and or opening, and I, I would assume you could fill in a number of different passages you might you might be able to open right. to for reference. Yeah, you like know. I, I wrote I wrote down Isaiah. Yeah, yeah, the whole the whole Bible. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. So, but I, you know, that reminded me of. Uh, even as stupid as this may sound, I'm sure this is going to be really helpful. But um, uh, you know, we just finished that the Wandavision show, you know, and uh, yeah. and like you notice at the beginning of every episode, they go, you know, previously on Wandavision, and and they just right. they cut to all the things you're going to need to know for this episode. You're going to need sure. to remember yeah. for this episode. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and it's like it's almost like at the beginning of your sermon. You know, and this is sort of a, a didactic method or like a pedagogical method, you know, just a way of a teaching, of approaching teaching. You're doing it a lot like what even TV shows have found really helpful because here, here's this whole canon 
of MCU movies and TV yeah, shows that you've you, seen, you're going to forget all this, you know, but here's what I you would, need to I know. Would actually, I would actually go farther than that to say that I think that's what John is doing. Yeah. That yeah. It's not so much that I'm like, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do a WandaVision version of introducing Revelation. I think that's what John is doing by referencing those things. He, he's the one who's saying, previously in God's history of redemption, you need to pick up these things, and that will help this episode make more sense. That's what John's yeah. doing. Yeah. That's, um, that's, I think that's incredibly helpful, and, and even just from a, from a modern reader's standpoint, to think that, like, you know— um, we're preachers are not the only ones that do this or John's not the only one that this has been around for a long time. And even the secular world uses the same method to, to remind you of things that you've probably forgotten. Um, you know, that you really need to know. So on Sunday in the sermon, I'm, I'm probably going to, maybe I'll use that illustration, but I'm going to use like (laughs) 24, (laughs) series 24, just so no one can say I I stole this from Michael because I talked about the division. How many people in there even remember 24, man? Come on. That's, <laughs> you're dating yourself. In fact, do you remember? I don't know if you remember. This is probably an aside, and no one's going to find this helpful, but one of the first times we ever hung out was around 24. Do you remember that? <laughs> in college, yeah. Yes, in college. You and your yeah. roommate were hooked on 24, and I was like, I've never heard of this thing before. And I got in like in the middle of season three, and you're y'all are watching it. And I'm I'm like hooked. And I don't even know what's happened. It's just like 15 least, different things going on. Yeah, at <laughs> least one season we shut the windows, dark them out, and watched the entire season without stopping, except for food and bathroom breaks. At least one season, maybe more. You have to miss yeah. those days when you're like, you could do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I th- I think that's helpful outside of the 24 reference, but definitely make it one division and not 24. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know that's another one you can you can borrow that from me you don't even have to you know you don't have to reference me in any way or anything like that okay, you know it's good, it's yours good. i give you permission i wasn't gonna do that anyway but yeah so 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 what is if you if you're gonna make an argument about what this passage has to do with you reader you audience um and and, and your life right now what are you gonna say yeah, so I think part of my job as preacher is to help um, explain, help people understand what the text is saying and help feel it as well. Um, so, you know, it, it seems to me one of the implicit uh, applications to the reader here is this is where you are in the history of redemption. And this is who God is. This is how Christ relates to you and how Christ relates to the world. Get that etched in your skull because that's what we're building on for the rest of the book of Revelation. And what John is actually doing here instead of... one of the, I think people tend to know Revelation as weird creatures, end times, debates about the millennium, uh, confusion about revelation and things like that. And I, I think one of the applications can be, listen, this is, this is actually so close to the gospel. This is the gospel uh, that, we've been, that, that John doesn't start with three-headed beings with eyes all over them. 
he starts with Jesus who freed us from our sins by his blood. And that that's really at the, the center of the eternal God's plan for redemption in all time. And John wants you to think about those things, and that's the thing that he wants. It kind of reminds me of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, I, I gave you the things of first importance. And I kind of hear John saying, get this as your vision of who God is in the world, what Christ has done in the world, and what, how Christ will relate to the nations when he comes. Feel that. Be encouraged by it. That's the news that's more important for you to know and feel than the news you're hearing this week. So let yeah. that sink in and affect you. Uh, maybe not more, but as much as you're trying to get an understanding of the future, this, this should sit on you and free you from worry and anxiety. The, the, the one who was and is and who is to come is on his throne. Jesus has paid, freed us from our sins. This is our place in history redemption. You can, you can be a bit terrified and at rest at the same time. Uh, it, you I know, it's John's kind of setting that up that way. It's interesting when you when you I think break down a text to, you know, the 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 real point that the author is driving at in this case, John. I'm amazed at how when I when I'm hearing you do that, how much the passage in Revelation sounds like every passage in Scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not. It doesn't yeah. seem like. Um, it doesn't sound like you know that uh, just some the book some doesn't weird sound like you know, an oddball. Yeah, I mean Revelation. That's the way it's preached. That's the way it's understood half the time. Yeah. Is here's this book at the end of the text that nobody touches because we're scared of it and because it it's so confusing but when you actually dig and find these old testament references that john is pulling from and you know and and gathering when you kind of you know pull it apart and you know smoke the meat so to speak you realize it tastes the same as the rest of the bible i mean how many times does jesus tell tell his disciples you know even the book i'm in matthew 6 don't worry about tomorrow, you know, and, and, and really trying to pull them back to an eternal perspective and how that changes everything for the way you even approach, you know, the day-to-day news is you just have to think about who you are in the middle of God's redemptive plan and yeah. what that then means yeah. for the world around you, you know? Let me, let me ask you a question. So just real quick here, I... What I just described, I, I think, means that the context of who John's read, who who John's audience is, and their 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 place uh, as as kind of suffering servants at the time Revelation was written, but also looking forward to Christians who who are partners with John in the tribulation. That 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 significantly affects what I think John's trying to do in four through eight. He doesn't say that in four through eight. He doesn't say anything about suffering, and you know he, he doesn't make that explicit connection. So because you're tortured and persecuted by the tribes of the earth, you need to hear this news that all the tribes of the earth will wail. So do you, do you think that's a fitting or an overreach to say the context actually tells me that this is how to preach this text, who to, what, what people to preach this text to, and what struggle they're in? 
Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, first of all, he tells you that from verse 4 at the very beginning. This is to the seven churches that are in Asia. Um, that's, uh, to me, I mean, I don't know about, you know, what you've dug dug into, but that to me ha- is an obvious reference to the global church. I mean, you, we know that Hierapolis and Colossae are both in that same circle in Asia of right. those churches, and he, he isolates those seven um, and talks to them specifically, um, some of which are suffering, some of which, you know, are in sin or whatever. Yeah, um, healthy. yeah. Yeah, yeah. But his whole, his whole point and the whole thrust of it is driven towards— um, you know, th- these churches that are in the midst of tribulation and the, the perspective you need to have is an eternal one. He's going to tell them that a hundred times through Revelation. Mm-hmm. I mean, even mm-hmm. even in even in the passages where they're tempted to follow the beast, um, he's going to come back and say the ones that are marked by the mark of Christ, um, the ones who did not bow their knee to the beast, the ones who you know, faithfully worship the Lord uh, instead of the beast are the ones whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so he's constantly drawing them back to the Lamb's Book of Life, constantly Mm -hmm. drawing back. Remember who's on the throne. Uh, You're in the midst of tribulation. And even you've got two chapters, two and three, where you have seven churches that are in some varying form of suffering, whether it be tempted to compromise the gospel or actually being killed, put to death. All of them are tempted to falter because of the governmental pressure that's on them, the pressure of the beast that's on them. And right mm-hmm. on the heels of that, in chapter 4, here, all your suffering, mm-hmm. 2 and 3, yeah. right on the yeah. heels of that, I saw God on the throne. You yeah. know, I, and I, I can't help but be reminded in chapter 4 of what Isa- what happens to Isaiah. Yeah. In six, when the year that King Uzziah died, um, you know, so here's your king is dead, and 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 you're tempted to to worry about that the transition of power here that's going to happen. I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. He's not worried, and and it's like John is is doing that same thing here. You know, reaffirming the churches that are suffering. Absolutely. Yeah, that that's helpful because I I think that affirms for me that the pattern of hopeful vision of God on his throne isn't unique to Revelation at all. No. He had, John has a lot of friends, scripturally, who find God's people in that place, and God gives them a vision of the throne and yeah. of what is to come for their hope and for their endurance. That's good. Yeah, I, I, so I have a question now. You, you, okay. You've got, um, you know, obviously Revelation is a tough uh, book, I think, and, and I think anybody that may be listening to this or, or just anybody to be preaching Revelation is, you know, kind of nervous about approaching it. How, what resources do you use? Have you used and, and how heavily do you lean on them? Um, you know, versus your own just observation of the text, you know, what's your relationship there? Yeah, I've got, that's good. Um, I would say two resources have been, I'm going to give you three resources that have been helpful. One is a resource that's been helpful for many, many years to understand my, help me understand a, a biblical theology in general, and it's Kingdom Through Covenant by Gentry and Wellam. Hmm, um, I would pay the money and get the 700 or whatever page version. It's been more helpful for me to understand the Bible as a whole than any other book. 
and I think ended up giving me so much comfort to understand the Bible as a whole that it really led to both understanding Revelation and giving me a lot of confidence in Revelation. Uh, Vern Poitras, um, I mean, that book is worth its money just for the structures What's of Revelation. What's the book called? Do you remember what the book is called? The Return of the King. Yeah, yeah. The Return Returning of the King. Returning King, short, right? Returning, Returning King. King, yeah. Short yeah. paperback version. It's really good. Um, yeah. G.K. Beale is helpful. I mean, if G.K. Beale has thought about an Old Testament passage, he puts it in his notes. Yeah. I think sometimes it's a bit of a stretch, and it's a little bit too loose of a connection. But, I mean, who am I? I don't know. But I will say the commentary functions like a great thesaurus of Old Testament references that I, that which, I can go which chase books down. precisely from G.K. Beale is that? Um, the shorter commentary on Revelation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not very smart, so I got the shorter one. Yeah, well, the big, sh- I mean, I think the shorter one. one, the shorter one is great. It's phenomenal because basically that yeah. shorter pulp preacher's commentary, I think, is what it's called. He yeah. is is basically just an abridged version of his Gre- the Greek New Testament commentary that he wrote, which is yeah. good grief. That thing is massive, really dense, is really, really dense. Uh, yeah. But that that shorter commentary is helpful, and he even has, I think, at the end of every section. Correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't that the one where he has at the end of every section the little just a summary, um, you know, yes. kind of or application yeah, no, questions? I think. Yeah, yeah, things to reflect on, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah. Yes. Yes, very much. Um, so. I'm going to wrap us up with this question. Okay. So, I don't know about you, but and this happens pretty much every week, just talking about what I'm going to preach. And even talking about your sermons, if it's not what I'm going to preach, I get more excited about preaching than I was an hour ago. Um, I'm going to read a quote from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Preaching and Preachers. I'm just going to do the short version of it. This is really good. He just says, in short, how can a man be dull when he is handling such themes, speaking about Scripture? I would say that a dull, he's talking about boring, preacher, is a contradiction in terms. If he is dull, he is not a preacher. He may stand in a pulpit and talk, but he is certainly not a preacher. With the grand theme and message of the Bible, dullness is impossible. Hmm. That's good. Isn't it? That's good. That's good, man. Yeah. I, I just hear that I think... One, it's a, a warning to me. If I'm preparing and it's not setting my soul on fire, wink and nod, then I'm, I'm not there yet. Um, I haven't grasped the text yet. Um, yeah. Do you? Oh, do you feel like that in your preaching? Oh man, yeah. I am so nervous if I go into the office on Sunday. And I have, you know, the least bit of, you know, slowness about me or lethargy or whatever. And my goal is to really spend a lot of time in prayer that morning because I don't want to walk into the pulpit um, feeling like there's not a fire there. Like I have to preach yeah. it. And, I, and I've always found, and this is Where one of the reasons so, why. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, do, I was gonna say this that, is one. <laughs> you yeah. you go first. No, you go. no you you no, no you, <laughs> you go ahead. So I've I've always felt that you know this is one of the reasons why we text and call so much is because 
even even just hearing you know the thoughts from somebody else or just even talking through the sermon that that I'm about to preach just sort of revs me up all the more because my mind starts making more connections and I start thinking about people conversations that I've had with people in our church and Mm -hmm. you know like oh man I hope this person is there on Sunday because I I know that they're really going to need to hear this or you know and and as you know that that's kind of a sort of a fleshly thought I think but um, at the same time, and, and normally when I do it, when I preach, that person's not there. And then somebody that I never even considered comes up to me and is like, oh, I really needed that, you know. Um, yeah, but yeah. but it, but I want to get into the pulpit, and I want people not from a, not not in a fake way or like I'm convincing them or selling them like an actor, but but in a real way, I want them to f- to feel that this guy has sat in this text all week. And yeah. he, he is really excited about this text. And, yeah. and I, I want them to know that. I want them to understand yeah. that. And not in a putting on airs kind of way. I mean, really, authentically, I want them to feel that. Yeah, and I think uh, my, that's our hope for this podcast, I think, that just in yeah. discussing the Word and chopping it up and challenging and adding to each other's understanding of the text, that the text comes to the surface Christ comes to the surface, God's word becomes clearer, and then it is more enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And you now I don't, I don't think, you know, there's not really too much exciting about you when we get on the phone call, or when we get on the podcast, or or me. But when you get help with the Bible, yeah. and the the Bible catches you on, it, it, that's what really catches you on fire. Yeah. Um. Or you know, maybe another another talk for another day, but puts you in a, a mournful state. Or puts yeah. you in a uh, hopeful state or a convicting state based on your based on your text, yeah. but you're you're on fire in accordance with God's word. Yeah, um, that's so good, so good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I'm helped. I feel more ready to preach and more encouraged to go preach than when I woke up this morning. So I'm thankful. Yeah, and I'm uh, I'm I'm now probably because you went last. I'm. I think I'm now wanting to preach Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, dude, you get to in a few weeks, man. You're a few yeah. weeks away. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's good. Well, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged uh, in my text. I'm encouraged in your text. I, I can't wait to hear your sermon for sure. Cool. Be good. Yeah, you as well, man. Look forward to next week. Thanks for listening to the Fire and Bones podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing or following the show on your favorite listening platform so you can be notified every time a new episode is released. Consider leaving us a generous review if that's an option for you. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone that you think might benefit from it. Be sure to check the show notes for any relevant links, including our contact information. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Fire and Bones podcast. Thank you.